Well, as I've shared many times before, I'm the youngest of my siblings by a long shot. My sister, um, who's the next one up, is eight years older than me, and then 10, and then 11. So, needless to say, as the youngest in that sort of setting, I had very little say in what happened around the house. Okay, especially uh, as a little kid, you know, it'd be time to do something or, you know, let's do something. And I'd be like, I want to do this. I don't care what you want. You know, <laughs> you're the youngest. You know, we don't have to listen to you. But I did have one one card that I could play on occasion. One card that I, I tried to use very wisely. Um, didn't want to overuse it and so forth. And that was mom or dad said so. Okay. All right. There would be something going on. I'd, I'd go to mom and dad, get their permission first, get them on my side. Mom was easier than dad, to be honest. But I'd get them on my, on my side. And I'd go to the siblings and I'd say, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, that's not what we're going to do. You're the youngest. We don't care what you have to say. And I would say, mom said so. And I got to do whatever it was I was hoping to do. That was that was my one card that I could play in that setting. Today we're going to talk about God saying so and how that plays into our life. Um, there's some good ways and there's some bad ways that we use that term. God says so. Okay, there's some there's some there's some things that are part of our life, part of our existence, um, where we like to kind of throw that out on occasion, and it's not always the healthiest or the best or the most appropriate way to do that. There's other times when it's very necessary for us to throw throw that out, so to speak. It's very necessary for us to say it. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 23 uh, this morning. We're looking at, uh, again, we're looking at that part of Samuel where David is on the run. He's been on the run from Saul for some time. We've looked at uh, many different aspects of that reality, that relationship. Um, we saw, you know, uh, last week with the priest there um, helping David, uh, Ahimelech, and so forth, uh, and how the tabernacle, how the church is to be the center of our existence. That's where we go when we're in desperate situations, desperate, desperate circumstances. Um, we we did not go into the last part of chapter twenty-two. Chapter, last part of chapter twenty-two, uh, Saul kills the priest that helped David. Uh, he was not happy with their assistance, and so he ends up killing them. And word comes to David, and David says, I'm the one who's responsible for this. I I put them in that position. You know, I, I went to them for help. They helped me, and they're paying the price because of that. And so David um, is uh, in that situation, in that circumstance, where he's he's feeling the, the weight to the responsibility of being the king being the leader, being the one who's responsible for so many people, and yet he doesn't have the power that really comes with it very often. He's in that position where he needs to do things. He needs to carry out certain tasks. He needs to accomplish certain goals. But he himself doesn't have the power yet to do so. And we pick up here in chapter 23 with him um, in, in, a, in a very similar situation. And so let's begin in verse 1. It says, it was reported to David, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kelah and raiding the threshing floors. So David inquired of the Lord, should I launch an attack against these Philistines? And the Lord answered David, launch an attack against the Philistines and rescue Kelah. But David's man said to him, look, 
We're afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go at once to Keilah, for I will hand the Philistines over to you. And David and his men went to Keilah, fought against the Philistines, drove their livestock away, and inflicted heavy losses on them. So David rescued the inhabitants of Keilah. Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, and he brought an ephod with him. And when it was reported to Saul that David had gone to Keilah, he said, God has handed him over to me, for he has trapped himself by entering a town with barred gates. Then Saul summoned all the troops to go to war at Keilah and besieged David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting evil against him, he said to the priest of Abiathar, Bring the ephod. Then David said, Lord God of Israel, your servant has reliable information that Saul intends to come to Keilah and destroy the town because of me. Will the citizens of Keilah hand me over to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord answered, He will come down. David asked, Will the citizens of Keilah hand me over? And my men to say to Saul, they will, the Lord responded. So David and his men, numbering about 600, left Keilah at once and moved from place to place. When it was reported to Saul that David had escaped Keilah, he called off the expedition. And David then stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hill city of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul searched for him every day, but God did not hand David over to him. So you see David very much in, in a similar situation as he was back in chapter 21, 22. He's on the run. He's, he's feeling responsible for this city. He does not want to see this city destroyed. He's just rescued this city. Of course he doesn't want to see it fall into the hands of Saul and be destroyed. And so he moves on. But he, he is, in many ways, he's, he's powerless. Now, Keilah is out in what's called the Shephelah. It's, it's the, the plains. If, you, if you're looking at a map of Israel, it's on the far uh, western side, the left side of the map. Okay, it it it's it's out in the plains of Israel. It's very isolated. Uh, that's a farming area, and so cities were fewer, far between there, so that they'd have room for farming and so forth. It's a place that is in close proximity to the Philistines, so it's understandable why the Philistines would uh, attack. But it's a city that's in desperate situation, needing help from someone else, and David, being the man of God that he is, steps in. But as you look at David's interactions and Saul's interactions here in chapter 23, you see a lot of use, a, a lot of conversations with God, and a lot of passing on the conversations with God to other people that are around them. And I think in this passage you see some of the some of the difficulty or some of the, the realities surrounding this issue that that really need to shape our hearts and minds today. You you may not be aware of this, some of you may, but there is a there's a big controversy in Christianity right now, Christianity across the board, as to how much God still speaks to us today. Okay? You have people on on one side, usually more of the Reformed tradition, the Calvinistic tradition, so forth, they say he doesn't. He's he's done. He's finished. He's given us the Word of God. Word of God is enough. That's all we need. That's all He's going to do. God does not speak to us today. Then, of course, you have people on the whole opposite side, usually more of the Pentecostal bent and so forth, and they're saying, no, God's still speaking. God's still speaking directly. And, and, and most of us would probably fall someplace in between those two groups. 
Okay. Um, I lean more, a little bit more toward uh, the reform side. Um, I don't believe that God is, um, I, I certainly don't believe he speaks to us the way he talks to the biblical individuals, biblical writers, and so forth. But I do believe God does lead and direct and give clarity in terms of direction and so forth. So wherever you are on that scale, that, that's fine. I'm, I'm not here to convince you one way or the other which way it goes. But I want us to look at the scriptures this morning and, and see kind of some of the things that we need to keep in mind as we're talking about God speaking, God addressing this. So let's take a look at, at what we can, we can uh, discern here. And the first thing we need to, to understand, the first thing we need to see is that manipulation using God's word or name is not an okay practice. Okay, if you're using God spoke to me to manipulate, you're, 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 in, the, you're in the wrong business. You're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong like, uh, uh, mindset, perspective. Let me give you just a couple examples. Uh, some of you may remember this. Some of you are too young to remember this. Um, but several years ago, uh, we had a man named Oral Roberts. He has a university named after him, so forth. Um, and he was a very famous televangelist, so forth. And uh, he made a very famous statement at one point. He said, um, God has told me that unless I get $15 million, he's going to take me home. I don't know if you all remember that whole conversation. It was, a, it was a pretty big deal at the time. It was through all the news and all the other stuff. You know, unless... unless the people out there send $15 million to me by such and such a date, God's going to take me home. You know, and I was feeling very tombstone-ish. Well, bye. You know, that's, that's where, kind of where I was in, in that. But, you know, but there was a lot of people who were who were of the, the mindset, you know, that, that, okay, we need to do this. And he actually got to $15 million. Uh, some wealthy donor finished off the amount saying, uh, I can't remember exactly what his motivation was. Something along the lines of he didn't want God to look bad or something like that. So he gave him the $15 million. Uh, a little bit more close to home. Uh, back when I was at in college, Wayland Baptist University, it had the nickname Wedding Bells University. Okay, That was the nickname we took the chain to. And, and a big part of that was because um, people on both sides of the issue were very much into God's will for your life. Okay, you would have the ministerial students who would go to, you know, the pretty girl or the girl they were interested in, say, "God told me that we're supposed to get married." I remember it. I remember. I remember my friends doing that sort of stuff uh, all the time. God told me we're supposed to get married. And the girls, they do it too. I, I, I don't know how many girls I met before I met Christy who would come up and say, um, God has called me to be a preacher's wife. And you're going to be a preacher, right? You know? And that was how they'd introduce themselves. It wasn't like we'd known each other for a long time and they were sharing this bit of information. That's how they would introduce themselves. Okay? I told Will when he was uh, when he was dating, I'm married now, I can't do this. Back when he was dating, I said, I gave him the line. I said, he needs to go up and he says, he needs to go to that girl and say, hi, I'm Will. God. He never used it. He never used it. I don't know. I don't know what his problem was, but um, 
uh, whatever. He, he just never, he never used it. I don't know. <laughs> but over the years of ministry, I've, I've run into a lot of uh, similar things. I've had members come up to me and say, God told me that such and such is where we need to go with the church. Or God told me, you need to be doing this. And that's where you really get into trouble is when you start talking for somebody else's life. God told me, you need to be doing this, 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 and this. You know? Okay, well, when God tells me that, too, then we'll go that direction. But right now, I haven't heard from him. You know? But it's a very common occurrence, especially among Christians, when we want something and we really have no other way of moving people in the direction we want to, we pull out the Holy Spirit program. The Holy Spirit told me that this is what we need to do. This is where we need to go. And, and you see that here in, in chapter 23, verse 7 and 8, when, when Saul says what? God has handed David over to me. That's what he tells his troops. That's what he tells his army that to convince them to, to go with him to attack, to siege Kalah. You know, God has clearly handed David over to me. Okay, the signs are all there. Everything's just lining up the way it should line up. And so God has revealed this to me that we need to go and we need to attack the city. We need to wipe out the city. We need to wipe out David and his men. He's doing what? He's manipulating his men. He's manipulating his people using God's name, using God's uh, um, word, as it were, to try and get them. Now, how do we know, first of all, that, that God didn't lead in this? Well, first of all, the narrator tells us he didn't. But even beyond that, what is Saul trying to do here? He's trying to wipe out a whole people. He's trying to wipe out God's anointing, David. And so we know God hasn't done this. We know God hasn't laid this on his heart. We know God hasn't revealed this to him, but he needs he needs that sway. He needs that influence. He needs that help in getting his men to follow him. And it's important for us as we deal with people, as we deal with management situations, so to speak, we're trying to influence and help people go a certain direction that we think they need to go. And we don't misuse God's word. We don't misuse God's name. I, I hope over the four years that we've been together, I hope that's something you picked up on. Very seldom, if ever, have I ever said, this is where God has told me we need to go. I don't think I've ever said that. I've shared many times that I that I feel like this is, something that would be a priority God would have us have. I've shared those sorts of things and, and communicated, hopefully, depending upon God's word, that these are things we need to be about, things we need to do. But I don't think I've ever uttered the words, this is where God has told me we need to go as a church. I just don't think that's necessarily how God works most of the time. I'll never say God can't do that because I'm not God. But I don't think that's how he works most of the time. 
we need to be careful about that. Now, the issue, the second issue is, is the issue of encouraging people using God's promises. And this is appropriate. It is appropriate. It is a blessing to be able to say, God has promised such and such. And I, and I want you to be encouraged by that. that, that that's a, a big part of my approach as a pastor. We've talked about, you know, uh, over the last several weeks, God will be with you. How that's the number one promise in Scripture. And it's appropriate to, to pull out those promises. It's appropriate to pull out those passages, pull out those texts and say, this is what God has said. This is what His Word has revealed. And because God has said this, because God has, has communicated this, we can build our lives around that promise. We can build our lives around that truth. God is trustworthy. When God says so, God has said so, and that's all that matters. And that's important for us to, to recognize and, and important for us to, uh, to realize. In our passage here today, right before, right after where we stopped reading, there in, in 15 through 18, um, Jonathan shows up. And Jonathan offers a word of encouragement to David. Now, first of all, I think it's hilarious that Jonathan could find David, but Saul has been unable to. Okay. Jonathan's just like, okay, this is where we're going. And he goes, Goes right out to David and he encourages him. He encourages him with what? He encourages him with words. Verse 17 Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I will be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it is true. And the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. What's Jonathan doing there? He's, he's leaning on the promises that God had given David. David, you're the anointed. You are the next king of Israel. You don't need to worry about my father and what he's going to do. You don't need to fret about it. You don't need to be concerned about it. You don't need to, to, to um, you know, spend too much time focusing on it. Because God has told you, he's promised you, that you're going to be the next king of Israel. So relax, brother. God's got this. You know, that, that, that's, that's important. That's encouraging. And we need to be a people who are leaning on God's Word and encouraging people through God's Word. It's an important part of our relationship with each other. You probably noticed that I have an if there with an ellipsis. And I put that there because I think there are two things we need to be very careful of when it comes to God's promises. Number one, we need to make certain that what we're quoting, what we're saying, what we're sharing with someone is actually a promise. Okay. That it's not a statement, it's not a, maybe a truth or something like that, that it's actually a promise. So for instance, in Proverbs, it says, raise up a child in the way he should go. And when they were old, when they are old, they'll not depart from it. That is what that is a proverb. It's not a promise. It's not a promise. It's a statement of how things generally work. When you, as a parent, grandparent, 
responsible guardian or whatever, when you invest in, in children and you teach them and you instruct them and you guide them, most of the time they're going to grow up and follow and live by that instruction, that guidance, that, that, that truth that you've poured into them. That's what a proverb is. It's how things generally work. Not a promise. Now, why is that important? Well, over the years, in my decades of ministry, I've, I've had parents many times as a youth pastor, as a pastor, in my office, or I'm in their home, and they're in tears, and they're brokenhearted because their child who's gone off to college or their child who has graduated and moved away and went into the military or whatever has just totally abandoned the things of God. Just just walked away from them. Wasn't interested in things of God. Wasn't, wasn't focused on the things of God. Wasn't listening to the things of God. They were just gone. And the parents like, I don't understand. I don't understand. We poured into our kids the truth of God's Word. We taught them. We instructed them. We raised them according to those ways. Where did I go wrong? Where did I fail as a parent? Did I not raise them in the way she go? And they're all confused because they've read or they've been told or they've been instructed. That's a promise. And the truth of the matter is, is that that parent probably didn't do anything. But the parent, a grandparent, a guardian is not the only influence on a kid child. You have teachers, you have friends, you have culture, you, you, you have the kids' own desires, inkling sins, so forth. I mean, Jesus, or God put Adam and Eve, what, in a perfect environment, and they still rebelled against him. We're not the only influences. And so what that proverb is meant to communicate to us is, we need to raise a child in the way she go. We that that's the instruction. That's the that's the that's the force of the statement. Raise your children according to God's principles and God's ways. And most of the time, most of the time, they won't depart from that. They're going to love the Lord. They're going to walk with the Lord. They're going to be with the Lord throughout their life. But there are other influences in life, and so it's important for us as we deal with scriptural passages. To correctly identify a promise from what's well, not a promise. We, we need to understand that distinction. We need to properly break down the word when we're interpreting it. It's an important part of who we are. The second thing that we need to be mindful of when it comes to promises is that we need to make sure that they are promises to us. Okay. In other words, there are passages that are promises, but they're not to us. So, for instance, probably the most, the most popular, the most common one out there from the book of Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you to bring you prosperity and life and peace and joy, those sorts of things. It's a very common passage. It's one that we all like to quote. I know the plans God has for you. Here's a problem. Number one, that's not a promise to us. That's not even a promise to an individual. 
Jeremiah is speaking that word to Israel as a nation, to Judah as a nation, as they are going off into exile. The people, as they're being carried off into exile, they're wondering, is God done with us as a nation? Has he moved on to somebody else? Is he going a different direction? And Jeremiah says, as you go to exile, as a nation, know, I know the plans for you. I give you a future, a hope, those sorts of things. It's important. Why is that important? Because there were thousands of people in Judah at that time who died on their way to Babylon and others who died in Babylon without ever seeing the new hope, the new life, the new deliverance, those sorts of things, without ever seeing the rescue. Thousands of people died after hearing that message. God's plan wasn't for each individual that heard that message, that they all had this future, they all had this life, they all had this hope. That wasn't what he was saying there. So it was a promise, but it was a promise to the nation of Israel. Now, is God going to watch over his people? Does God work together for the good of those who called according to his purpose? We want to pull from Paul and so forth? Absolutely he does. Okay, that's a promise. That's from Scripture. Let's lean on that. As long as we understand, again, the nature of the promise. It's not a promise to prosperity. God has never promised his people as individuals that you would receive, that you could expect nothing but good things. Jesus' call was what? Take up your cross. To die to yourself. It wasn't to, to come and build your bank account. Or come and experience a life full of prosperity and, and, and all those sorts of things. That wasn't Jesus' call to his disciples. To be a believer, especially in the first couple centuries of Christianity, was to invite death, to invite hurt and pain and loss, loss of your family, loss of your loved ones, loss of your position, loss of your wealth. I think sometimes because of the blessings that we enjoy here in our nation, we have forgotten. That's the exception to the Christian life, not the rule throughout church history. I teach church history at, 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 at ETBU in addition to my Old Testament teaching. And there's really been very few windows like the window we enjoy right now in terms of prosperity for believers and so forth. Very few. Most of the time, when you become a Christian, you are committing to a life of loss. But we what? We consider, we count that loss as a blessing because it's for the, the greater cause, the greater purposes of, of what God's doing, who God has called us to be. And so it's, it's important for us to, to, to keep that reality in mind, to keep in mind the words of, of Job, should we accept the good from God, never anything bad. To keep in mind the words of Paul when he says, I've learned to be content. What? Every situation. 
when I have plenty and when I have nothing, when I go hungry, when I'm well fed, whatever situation I find myself in, I'm content. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those are Paul's words in Philippians. We need to keep that perspective. So yes, we encourage each other. We encourage each other with God's words, with God's promises, but we need to make sure that we're we're dealing with those promises of God. A third truth about promises that we need to keep in mind is that excusing our sin under the guise of God's blessing is deceitful. It's lying. You see Paul, or excuse me, not Paul. You see Saul do that uh, several times throughout this passage. We, we've already looked at the, the passage where he's calling the people together. But if you go to uh, verses 19 through 24, a little bit later in the passage, you see him doing it again. As you have some Ziphites come to Saul and they report to Saul where David is and, and these sorts of things and what, what's going on with David. And Saul says in verse 21, May you be blessed by Yahweh, for you have shown concern for me. Okay, the fact that you're spying on David, the fact that you're giving this report, the fact that you're, you're, you're carrying out these realities, says what? That Yahweh is going to bless you as he's blessed me. And, and it, he is excusing the sin. He's hiding the sin under this guise of religiousness, piety. And we need to be very careful that we don't just assume that because it's good for us, that because it's a blessing, to, blessing so to speak, to us, that we don't automatically assume that it's necessarily God doing the blessing. Because let me be let me be clear: if Satan can get you to avoid, to deny, to reject God by giving you some sort of material blessing. He won't hold back in doing so. He is just as capable of, of blessing you materially as, as God is. Moving in people's hearts in certain situations and circumstances. We need to be mindful of that. There are a lot of people out there who are, are living lives that ignore God, that reject God, that, that, that never give God a second thought, that are living, quote, blessed lives. Do we look at their lives and say, hey, because they got everything together, God must be good with that? God must be okay with that? Of course we don't. And it's easy to see that sometimes in other people. But we need to be mindful that sometimes that's the situation in our circumstance as well. That God blesses Sometimes in spite of us, you know, sometimes look at Jacob in the Bible. How many times did God bless Jacob despite the fact that Jacob was completely disinterested in the things of God until very late in his life? He blessed Jacob in spite of Jacob's behavior, not because of it. Sometimes God does that with us too. But sometimes there are other situations, circumstances that have led to our well being. The question is simply, this. Are we living with integrity? 
Are we living with a, a mindset, a perspective that wants to follow God? And this is where the last thing comes into, in, into play is that we need to be listening to God. We need to be obeying God by means that He has already outlined. If you're wondering, how do I listen to God? How do I understand if God's speaking or God's directing, however you want to put it? Well, there's, there's a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, it's not tied to appearances. Just because things may appear a certain way does not necessarily mean that's the outcome. You look at David here in the, in the couple of verses that we read earlier where he says what? Should we go down to Kalah? And God says, yeah, go. And what, what, is his, what do his men say? We can't even handle ourselves here in Judah. We can't even take care of ourselves here in Judah. We're on the run from Saul <coughs> on our home turf. We're on the run from Saul in, in places we're comfortable with, places we know. You want us to go way outside of our comfort zone to the city where we don't know anybody. And you want us to fight there against the Philistines who have been given fits to Saul? We're running from Saul. And so you want us to go fight the people who are beating Saul. <laughs> that doesn't add up, David. You see, you see his men's logic here? Okay. We're running from somebody because he can wipe us out, and you're wanting us to go fight somebody who can wipe him out. That makes perfect sense, David. We're with you, buddy. No, that's not what they said. They said, no, we're not going down there. And David said, okay, let me go just double-check with God. And God said, I've given the city into your hand. You go. David said, good enough for me. Okay, The appearances... Of, of everything in his situation, everything in his, in his circumstance, everything that he's going through said, that's not a wise move to go to Kalah. That's not a, a, a good decision. But God said so. And when God says so, you go where he says. You do what he says. So that's important. Second thing, it's not tied to how difficult something is. This is not going to be a, a, an easy task. David runs into difficulties, not just from the battle against the Philistines, but what? From the people themselves. He inquires of the Lord, and the Lord says, you know what? The people, as soon as Saul gets here, they're handing you over. Does that make any logical sense to you? He just rescued them. He just delivered these people, and God says, you hang around, they're going to turn you over. Why? Because that's how people are. People are going to do what's best for people. That's our mindset. That's, that's the fallen nature of who we are. We're going to do what's best for us. And so it's not, again, how difficult something is, what, what roadblocks other people put in the way, those sorts of things. Those should not guide our decision-making process. Our decision-making process is what? What has God said? Did God say so? And so we, we go to his word. Firstly, David here does, says what? He goes to the priest, he brings in the ephod, and he, he inquires of the Lord using the Urim and Thummim. He uses the tools that God had given to Israel to discern 
God's will for his life. He gives, he uses things that are already in place. He doesn't go out and, and set up new ways of discerning God. You know, let the lightning strike that tree over there if this is what you want or something. Like, he doesn't set up some, some false test of God, you know, to, to determine things. He goes to what God has already given to determine God's will. And for us as believers, what God has already given is His Word. This is what we go to, to know what we need to do. We, I think too many Christians have become mystics in, in sensing that God wants to tell me this and tell me that when God has already spoken clearly on the issue they're, they're talking about, they're searching for. You're just not in his word. I heard one preacher put it this way, and I, I kind of like it. I don't necessarily fully agree with it, but I, I kind of like it. He said, he said if you want to hear God's voice, read the scriptures. And if you want to hear God's voice audibly, read the scriptures out loud. Okay. You know, God has given us clarity. I don't know how many times in ministry over the years I've, I've dealt with couples, with individuals and so forth who said, I really believe this is God's will for my life, whatever it may be. And what they were saying was God's will for their life was in direct rebellion against what God's word actually said. I've had couples who said, yeah, God wants us to live together outside of marriage. No, he doesn't. Well, preacher, how do you know he doesn't? Because his word says clearly you don't do that. That's how I know that. God has given us direction. Are there times in life circumstances and life situations where you don't necessarily have a, a direct word from God and his word and so forth where you where you need his leadership? Yes, there absolutely are. So what do we do in those situations? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to make sure you're lined up with things he's already clearly spoken. When you're seeking God's will for your life, for that next step, whether it's a job or a school or a relationship or whatever it may be, you know, God doesn't say, yes, you should definitely marry that person. You know, his word doesn't address that. So what do we do there? You check yourself and you ask, okay, am I doing the things he's already clearly told me to do? Am I obedient in the things he's already told me? Think of it this way. If, if you're a parent or you're a teacher or something, you're, you're trying to, to, to uh, or a uh, boss, and you're trying to get one of your, your employees to do something, your employee comes to you and they say, I want to do this job over here. This job looks like it's a lot of fun, a lot of great, all this other stuff. And that employee hasn't done anything you've told them to do in the, the years they've been with you. Okay, you, you, you gave them a job and they handed it off to somebody else or they didn't do it or they did it poorly or whatever. And, and that employee is just, they're just kind of halfway doing their job over and over and over again. Not enough to fire them, but not enough that they're really, you know, doing it. And they come to you and they say, Ooh, this job's really great or whatever. I want to do it. Are you going to give them that job? Of course not. They haven't done what, they're, what you're expecting to do in other places. Why would you give them this over here? 
That would be foolish. In a similar way, it's not exact, but in a similar way, that's how God works. When, when we're wondering about direction and purpose and people and those other things, we need to ask ourselves, am I being faithful to what God has already shown me in his word? And in my experience, when you're walking faithfully, not perfectly, but when you're walking faithfully in the things God has already shown you, then he's going to lay on your heart the directions he wants you to go. He's going to make it clear. He's going to give you clarity about what you should do next and where you should be next and how you should be carrying things out. He's going to give, he's going to make your his desires your desires because you're already being faithful in the things he's told you. So when it comes to following the word of God, to doing things because God said so, it starts with his word, his written word. What has God told us to do? He's told us to be a part of a group of believers worshiping on Sundays. He's told us to, to share our faith, to make disciples of people who don't know him. He's told us to, to spend time in prayer and in worship. He's told us to give generously. He's told us to, to, to be a people. who do things in front of others not so that they get the glory, but so that God gets the glory. He's given us instruction after instruction after instruction. The question is, are we listening to the things he's already said? Don't expect God to tell you uh, or to direct you in future things if you're not taking care of the things he's already told you. But when he tells you, when he reveals it, when he lays something on your heart. It's not about the appearances. It's not about the difficulties. It's not about the barriers. It's about the fact that God said so. That's enough. God is guided. We need to be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have so many times and so many ways given us clarity about what we should do and what we should be about and where we should go. Thank you that you're not a hidden God who hides his desires, his will, his, his focus on us. But that you communicated through your son, the life he lived, through your word, the revelation that you've given through the prophets and the apostles. God, help us to be obedient to things we already know and to be a part of our lives. Guide us and direct us in your purpose. In Christ's name.